Please, if you will, then turn for our sermon today, which is coming from Philippians chapter 3, and we'll be looking at verses uh, 1 through 6. Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. So hear with me then the reading of God's holy, inerrant, and infallible word. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law a Pharisee, as to zeal a persecutor of the church, and as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Thus far is the reading of God's Word. Brothers and sisters, have you ever been told that you have become like someone that you never wish to be like. Perhaps growing up you had a maybe a rough childhood and you said to yourself, when I grow up, I don't want to be anything like my mother or like my father was. And as you get older, you get married and your wife gets to know your family and gets to know your mother and father and one day she comes up to you and says, you know what, honey? You behave just like your father. Oh, what a sting that must be to hear to the ears. And what a blow that must be to the pride because you set out your whole life to not be like this person and yet you failed miserably. And what I have just described here today in this example, Paul reveals to us is the reality of the Judaizers whom he is writing against. They thought of themselves as those who are physically circumcised as the true people of God. They said, Abraham's our father. And so the covenant promises are for us and for our posterity. God is our God and we are His people. We serve Him in obeying the law. We're not like those uncircumcised Gentiles, those religiously unclean folks. Yet, what Paul will describe in our text this morning is what we might call a great exchange. A great exchange. As the Judaizers looked down upon the Gentiles and they wanted to be nothing like them, rather, they desired that the Gentiles would conform to their practices and would even be physically circumcised like they. Yet Paul says in response, what he says in response will send shockwaves throughout his kinsmen, throughout the national Israel. For in the coming of Christ, it has been revealed that those are saved only by grace alone, through faith alone, and in Christ and He alone. And any and all who would seek to add to the merits of Christ through empty ceremony and ritual are no longer true Jews, but have become the new Gentiles. The Judaizers, you see, spent their life clinging to those external practices. 
even when they said they have come to faith in Christ, they would not rid themselves, they would not let go, they would not let these external practices die. And John Calvin says in our text this morning, paraphrasing what he says, he says of the true circumcision, we have the reality, and of these Judaizers, he says, they rest in symbols. He says, we have the substance, they have the shadows. What he is saying, brothers and sisters, is they don't have what they think they have. They believe they have found the buried treasure. Right? Think about it. If you found the buried treasure and you think you have thousands and thousands of, of plaques of gold and you take them in to get looked at and you find out all that you have is really fool's gold. And yet, it is this fool's gold that these Judaizers are trying to sell to these Gentile believers in Philippi. They're saying, hey, we have the original uh, signed Babe Ruth rookie card in hand. But it wasn't real. It wasn't authentic. And wasn't it Paul who said to the churches in Galatia, if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel that is contrary to the one we have preached to you, let him be accursed. And after he even repeats it again for effect, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you have received, let him be accursed. And so Paul refuses to sit idly by and allow another gospel to be presented to the saints without first standing up and opposing it and pointing out exactly what it is. It's another gospel. It's not the true gospel. It's false. It's fake. It's not the authentic true gospel which Paul had proclaimed to them. And so herein lies the reason that Paul is writing this to them today. To warn them of the teaching of these Judaizers and how it will harm them. He says to them, they are not who they claim to be. They are not the true circumcision. For true circumcision is not through the removal of the flesh, but it is the removal of the heart of stone. The truly circumcised have been circumcised in their heart. And so Paul tells them, brothers and sisters, we are who they claim to be. We are who they claim to be. We who rest in Christ alone. We who know that salvation is all of Him, apart from ourselves at all. We put no stock in our flesh. It is we, you and I, who are the true circumcision. It is you and I who are the true Jews. And so Paul begins then, in verse 1, telling the saints, addressing them as brothers. And he tells them to rejoice in the Lord. And he calls them brothers because they have not swerved from the Gospel. They have remained faithful to the Gospel thus far. And so he calls them brothers. And he tells them, Rejoice in the Lord. And we have seen throughout this epistle, haven't we, as we've gone through it, this theme of rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. It seems like every time I'm up here, Paul says something and he says, Rejoice and be glad. He says something and says, Rejoice. Or he says, I say this to you so that you find joy. Or he says, I thank God because I have joy. This is because the Christian life is a life of joy. We have so much to rejoice over. We should rejoice over our very salvation for our life in Christ 
And so Paul continually tells us to rejoice and he can't tell us enough to rejoice. And brothers and sisters, you and I can't rejoice enough. You can't rejoice enough. And yet now Paul turns from telling them to rejoice to telling them now to beware. Starting at verse 2, we see Paul says, Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate their flesh. He's warning them. Beware of these Judaizers. He's concerned for them and it shows in his repetition of warning. This is why in verse 1 he says, To write these same things to you is no trouble for me and it's safe for you. It doesn't bother the apostle to tell them these things over because he's concerned for their spiritual welfare. He's concerned for their spiritual safety. And so he tells them three times over, look out, look out, look out. Or in some translations it it says, beware, beware, beware. Think about it. When you want to try to get your point across, isn't this a similar manner in which you would go about doing it? Think about if you have children or even when you were a child and you wanted to go and hang out by your friend's house. Uh, your mom and dad, before you went out the door, said what? Make sure you, make sure you behave. Uh, make sure you use your manners around Jimmy's family. Right? Uh, make sure that you call us. Don't do anything you're not supposed to do. And as you walk out the door, you say, okay, mom, dad. And then she, oh, wait, make sure you call us. Make sure you behave. They repeat it over and over and over, no matter how annoying it gets. Right? They remind us over and over. And as parents, it isn't burdensome for them to do so. To remind them every time you step out the door. And yet, isn't this what we would expect from a, a parent who loves their child? Wouldn't this be what we expect from a parent who is concerned for their children? It's the parent who doesn't love their child, who's not concerned for their child, who allows them to just run out the door without saying anything. And so we see Paul acts as a loving parent to the church. And he loves them enough to not just let them deal with these issues by themselves. But instead he's quick to point out the obstacles that stand in their way. And guess what? He's really forward in doing it. In the way he expresses it, right? Because what does he call these Judaizers? He says that they are dogs. He says that they are evil doers. And he says that they are those who mutilate the flesh. And so we want to look at these three names, these three titles that he gives them, starting with dogs. And so now, why do we think that Paul called them dogs? Well, think about what dogs do. Uh, Dogs bark. Some more than others, some louder than others, right? But dogs bark. Uh, Likewise, they devour, they destroy Whatever food is in sight. My kids know if they leave a, a, a pizza on the table, within seconds, if our dog sees it, it's gone. He devours it, right? And so this certainly fits with the behavior of the Judaizers. They barked against the sound teaching that Paul had delivered. They barked against the true gospel. Right? And so in doing so, they sought to devour, to destroy souls their teaching was going to lead the saints away from salvation in Christ and towards the path of damnation. Yet, why else do you think Paul would call them dogs? Do you recall in Mark chapter 7, 
the story of the Syrophoenician woman and her daughter who was demon-possessed. Well, in Mark 7, this woman falls before the feet of Jesus and she asks Jesus to heal her daughter, to cast out these demons. And what was Jesus' response to her, if you remember? He says, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and to throw it to dogs. Now this woman was a Gentile. She was outside the commonwealth of Israel. And so this term was used to describe those who would be considered unclean. Those who would be outside of the covenant community. And so now look what Paul does. He takes the term and he turns it around and he points it and applies it at the Judaizers now. Here is a part of this great exchange that I spoke about earlier. What was once true of the Gentiles, Paul now says is true of these Judaizers. They thought that being a part of national Israel and following Jewish custom made them covenant members and made them recipients of salvation. But Paul says they are now like the Gentiles. They, as dogs, are outside of the covenant community. These Judaizers with their unclean hearts and their uncircumcised hearts are not a part of God's gracious covenant. But rather now, it is these Gentile believers who are a part of the people of God. They are a part of true Israel. Because the covenant of grace no longer, it does not belong to any one nation. Rather, the covenant of grace belongs to a people made up of every tribe, tongue, and nation. And the members of this covenant, the members of the covenant of grace have this in common. They all have their hearts circumcised. Now, Paul also will call these Judaizers evildoers. And he gives them this title because their work was evil. I mean, what would you call someone who intended to do harm to your family? If someone wanted to harm your wife, or your husband, or your child, or your granddaughter. They're an evildoer. And so these Judaizers sought to do harm to the family of God. They sought to do harm to Paul's brothers and sisters in Christ. And so this is why Paul calls them evildoers. And he tells the saints that any work opposed to Christ, opposed to the message of the Gospel, is evil work. And as the saints, they are not to entertain such doctrine. And the last label then Paul gives to them is that he says that they are those who mutilate the flesh. Now this one must have really hurt when Paul says that they are those who mutilate the flesh because they took so much pride in the physical circumcision that they had. Right? This marked them out as the people of God. They thought that in being circumcised they were obeying God and they found favor in His sight. And this is why they wanted the Gentile believers to likewise be circumcised. But what does Paul say is the benefit, if any, of circumcision? Well, in Romans chapter 2, verse 25 through 29, Paul says this, For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. And then in verse 28, he goes on to say, For no one is a Jew 
who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. You see, Paul says, yeah, physical circumcision is of value if you obey it perpetually and perfectly. But if you transgress it once, it is of no value. And who can say that they have obeyed the law perfectly? None but Christ. None but Christ. For we have all sinned and we have all fallen short of the glory of God. And so what these Judaizers held in such high esteem, their physical circumcision, Paul says, has become uncircumcision. It's ben- it benefits them not. This cutting away of the flesh does not have the effect that they wanted it to have. And so this is why Paul says that in fact all they're doing is mutilating their flesh. And Paul rather explains that true circumcision is a matter of heart brought about by the Spirit. A Spirit that these false teachers were devoid of. But brothers and sisters, we ought to rejoice because you, I, all believers everywhere are the true circumcision, Paul says. For we have been regenerated by the Spirit. We have been washed anew by the blood of Christ. And this comes through the receiving of faith. No works can you and I bring. Christ has done it all. And so Paul tells these Philippians, knowing of their genuine faith, that they are the true circumcision. And then he goes on to tell them what being the true circumcision entails or what it implies. And he says three things in verse 3. He says that the circumcision are those who worship God by the Spirit, that they are those who glory in Christ, and that they are those who put no confidence in the flesh. And so this is what we want to focus the remainder of our time looking at. And so Paul first says, as the circumcision, we worship by the Spirit of God. This is in distinction to this world. This world worships apart from the Spirit. They worship apart from the Spirit. But you see what Paul says here. Circumcision precedes true worship. Paul says, we are the circumcision who then worship by the Spirit. So right worship only takes place by those who have the Spirit. And so the worship of this world is but vanity. They worship for their own experience, for their own sake, what they can get out of it, to feel good about themselves. Perhaps to think that they're offering something good back to God. They're giving Him something. But this is not true worship. The circumcision worship God in spirit and in truth. We worship God because He calls us into His presence to glorify His holy name. And we delight in doing so. Not for ourselves. Not for a performance. How much of this world's worship has become performance-based? I mean, now we even have ministers who are just, they have the title of worship pastor. And all, all they focus their attention on is creating a program for the worship team right, to perform on Sunday. And haven't we even started to detach the preaching of the Word 
from worship, from the meaning of worship. Have we have any of you heard someone say, Man, the worship at our church is awesome. You know, it's so great, but the preaching stinks. You know? And you say to yourself, What? Preaching is worship. It's a part of the worship. A major part of the worship, but this world has forgotten that. And it is God who prescribes to us how we ought to worship. And he says it is in preaching. It is in singing. It is in praying. It is in the administration of the sacraments. Not having praise bands so that our eyes are focused off of Christ and onto the performer. Yet, what this must teach us is that we must be aware that we do not likewise fall into these modern day pitfalls. And we are to not be so prideful as to think that we cannot fall into these because we can. And so that means we must be aware. We must dwell upon and think about where our desires and our affections lie and make sure that they are always pointing towards Christ and for His glory and not our own. Likewise, what this ought to teach us is that we are to maintain sound doctrine because right worship proceeds out of right doctrine. I guarantee any of those churches you go to where they have poor worship, it is because they have poor doctrine. And so we must maintain sound doctrine. And this means that we are to allow the Spirit to teach us. We are to allow the Spirit to teach us. We are to not lean upon our own understanding, our own reasoning, our own beliefs. We aren't to worship according to one's personal likes or dislikes. But rather, God's Word is the standard alone for how we ought to worship. And we must humbly submit ourselves to that. Another way then that Paul says we are the circumcision is because we glory in Christ. Now this word glory can also mean uh, rejoice or to boast. And so we are to only boast in Christ, Paul is saying. This world boasts in its wealth, in its beauty, in its intelligence, even its, in its inclusiveness. We as a society like to say how advanced we are, how we progressed in our understanding of man and of nature and of the world. But what this world cannot comprehend is that any advancement, any progression that we may have made as a society only comes from the hand of a gracious God. It only comes from the hand of a gracious God. But see, this is part of the problem why we are on such a steep moral decline in our society. Because no longer do we look to the Lord, but we are all about self-reliance. Right? This was the, the problem during the Enlightenment. We thought we could use natural human reasoning and reason our way to God. Although God has endowed us with reason, yes, because of the fall it has been corrupted. And so it is not sufficient to attain to special revelation. Rather, brothers and sisters, we need the Holy Spirit to reveal these things to us. We need to have the mind of Christ. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. He says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those of you who are spiritual. 
And the spirit that we have received is given to us by God so that we may discern these spiritual things. And this, brothers and sisters, is cause for glory. We are to glory in the all-sufficiency of Christ. We ought to glory in the fact that everything we need comes from His hands. Every grace we receive is supplied to us by God. The very rain that drops upon the crops that allows them to grow and us to eat comes forth from His hand. And should this not be great cause for glory and boasting in the Lord? So do not glory in yourself. Do not boast of the works of your own hands because we bring nothing to Christ. We add nothing to Christ. He paid it all. Salvation is all of God. Justification is all of God. Even sanctification is all of God. So boast in the cross. And in this manner, in this way, you will demonstrate and give evidence that you are the true circumcision. And this is in opposition to those who Paul will later say in chapter 3, verse 18. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. You see, the uncircumcised in heart, Paul says, glory in their shame. They love their sin and they love to gratify their sinful desires. These Judaizers boasted in the works of their own hands, in the physical circumcision. But the true circumcision, Paul says, are those who have been circumcised in heart. And we are those who boast in glory in Christ's works. And we are those who not have our mindset on earthly things, but we have our mindset on heavenly things. You see, these Judaizers put their confidence in the flesh. But Paul says, as the last of the three marks of the true circumcision... That as a true circumcision, we put no confidence in the flesh. Brothers and sisters, we are to find no confidence in ourselves. Any confidence, any trust you have in yourself, Paul is saying, give it to God. Turn over to God and place that trust, place that confidence in Him and He alone. See, they place their confidence in their physical uh, circumcision. They place their confidence in being physical descendants of Abraham. And they thought in doing so, they had favor with God. But God's favor is in those who are Abraham's spiritual, spiritual descendants. And in, Abraham's, uh, and in those who are spiritually circumcised. You see, these Judaizers thought that, yes, the merits of Christ are very beneficial, yet we must still do something on our behalf. Yet they were deceived. And yet, how many are so many are deceived in the same way today. You might know someone who thinks that, yes, with Christ's merits and my works, I will attain heaven. But this is why Paul says in verse 18 that he tells them these things with tears. He tells them that these false teachers walk as enemies of the cross and that their end is destruction with tears. You see, we should not be excited. We should not be happy to know that sinners are going to depart and die and not be with the Lord. For it's a terrible thing. Think about it. If your own 
son or daughter, if your own husband or wife, if your own mother and father were to die apart from Christ, that should break your heart to think of such a thing, wouldn't it? And so this should cause us to desire at every opportunity to proclaim the Gospel to them. To tell them of Christ's works, who He is, what He has done, and to imitate Him in every way and in all circumstances. To not be a hypocrite, to be a stumbling block before their eyes. For we are all appointed once to die, and then comes the judgment. And this is why Paul is so forward in pleading with them to not forsake the Gospel, to not turn away from the true Gospel which he had proclaimed and they had received to another one. He loves the saints. And he's demonstrating his concern for them. And so I ask, are we so concerned with others like Paul is? Do we demonstrate our concern for others in this way? Perhaps we ought to go to the Lord and ask Him to make us more aware of our need to be concerned for the unbeliever. This is why Paul puts forth his very self in the example in verses 4 through 6. Look one time, one more time with me at verse 4 through 6, where Paul says, Therefore I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. You see, Paul isn't here just bragging about himself, saying how awesome guy he was. No, what he's saying is he's giving us a warning in, in describing him his old former self to us. He's saying, all these things that the Judaizers think make them uh, have favor and be good before God, I exceeded them in every way. I far exceeded them in obedience to the law. I held to the law so well that no one could bring a charge against me. But what did it get Paul? Where did it get him? It got him nowhere. What they didn't understand is that circumcision was not given to them, prescribed to them by God in the Old Covenant, so that they might boast in their physical circumcision. Rather, circumcision was given unto them in the Old Covenant to point them to their need of heart circumcision. To point them to the need of a new heart and new affections provided to them by God through the Spirit. Physical circumcision was given to them to point them to their need of a Savior, one who was to come and shed His blood. And this one, they were to lay hold of for their very own salvation. And yet, what they did is they took this sign and they placed their confidence in it and not fully trusting in Christ. This was the same problem Paul writes towards the Galatians. Not realizing what circumcision was. Not realizing that faith is not of works. Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive this Spirit by works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having 
begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Christian, do not become fools. Do not begin to trust in your own flesh to put confidence in the works of your hands. Rather, what the Spirit has begun in you, allow the Spirit to perfect you, to continue until the day of the Lord. Heed this warning. Heed this rebuke from Paul. Do not allow it to fall on deaf ears because each and every one of us need to be reminded of this. We need the reminder of this. For Christ died in order that He might present us holy and blameless and above reproach before Him if indeed, He says, you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the Gospel which you heard, which was proclaimed in all of creation under heaven. And so as we close, brothers and sisters, I want to leave you with one final thing. As I was reading the the Valley of the Vision uh, this week, I came upon something. Uh, This is a Puritan prayer book and devotional. And I came upon his reading and I said, this is exactly what Paul is saying here. It's exactly what Paul is saying here. So I'm going to read this to you and then we'll close. But I want you to think about what this author here is saying and what Paul has already proclaimed to us. Okay? So this comes from page 4 and 5 entitled, God the All. So hear with me this. O God whose will conquers all, there is no comfort in anything apart from enjoying Thee and being engaged in Thy service. Thou art all in all, and all enjoyments are what to me Thou makest them and no more. I am well pleased with Thy will, whatever it is, or should be in all respects. And if Thou biddest me decide for myself in any affair, I would choose to refer all to Thee. For Thou art infinitely wise, and cannot do amiss, as I am in danger of doing. I rejoice to think that all things are at Thy disposal, and it delights in me to leave them there. Then, Prayer turns wholly to praise and all I can do is adore and bless Thee. What shall I give Thee for all Thy benefits? I am in a strait betwixt two, knowing not what to do. I long to make some return, but I have nothing to offer and can only rejoice that Thou doest all, that none in heaven or on earth shares thy honor. I can of myself do nothing to glorify thy blessed name, but I can through grace cheerfully surrender body and soul to thee. I know that thou art the author and finisher of faith, that the whole work of redemption is thine alone, that every good work or thought found in me is the effect of thy power and grace. And thy sole motive in working in me to will and to do is for thy good pleasure. Oh God, it is amazing that men can talk so much about man's creaturely power and goodness when if thou didst not hold us back every moment, we should be devils incarnate. This, by bitter experience, thou hast taught me concerning myself. Amen.
Please bow your heads with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before You having nothing to give unto You. For all is Yours. Anything that we have to give back to You is already Yours. It already belongs to You. Any good that we do or have is because of You. Lord, we thank You that You have allowed the Gospel to go forth not only to the nation of Israel, but You have opened it to all, to the Gentiles. And so that now, only those in Christ are those who belong to true Israel. Only those who have faith in Christ alone are the true Jews. And Lord, we recognize that this is all a work of Your hand. None can we do. And so we ask You, Lord, that You would help us to glory more and more in the name of Your Son Christ, that we would boast in Him alone, that we would daily recoil at the fact of putting any confidence or any trust in ourselves, but rather we would place all trust and confidence in You, and that, Father, You would aid us to worship You by the Spirit of God, that we would do so in a manner that pleases and glorifies and honors Your name. And so, Father, we come before You this day, giving all to You, the God of all and in all. And we pray this in Your Son's name. Amen.